Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see all of you tonight. Take your Bibles and open back up to the passage we studied this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue with that text down through verse 7 this evening. As we continue to study this section of scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1. So we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. As I said before, it's good to see everybody this morning. Especially maybe those who are uh, going to be watching tonight on our live stream. I went back and watched it from this morning and uh, it was really fantastic. I don't know if you've had to watch it before that, um, but it lacked a certain uh, clarity, if you will. But uh, we appreciate the elders for their decision to provide this equipment and to hire someone to put it in so that we could not only get this out to those who are homesick, but we could use this as an evangelism tool and uh, it'll be a resource to you here in the the near future. So uh, especially, I want to reiterate what Phil said this morning. As you're leaving services tonight, please make sure you say a word to the teenagers. You know, it's really easy to come in Sunday morning and say, oh, you know, there's some new stuff back there in the corner, and that looks really great, and we're glad it's there. But they worked from Friday morning till Saturday night very hard to get that set up. Not only that, they sat through almost three hours of training on how to use it, so they'd be prepared to do that this morning. So please make sure that you go back and say a word to all those teenagers that help with that. I know that they'll appreciate it, and we're blessed with the best teenagers in the brotherhood here at Bowden. And so uh, make sure you say a word to them tonight. Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to be picking up in verse 5. If you remember, we left off this morning from verse 4. We're going to study verses 5, 6, and 7 tonight as the content of our lesson. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7. There was a group of people that were touristing a very picturesque uh, valley and hillside in a very remote area. They were coming past a small town when one of the men, the older men that lived in that town, was sitting on a bench right outside the gates of the city. And they came by this man and one witty gentleman stepped off of the track of the tourists and asked that man, Sir, have there been any great men To come from this town. To which the man replied, no, just babies. You know, when we think about the reality of how great men come about. Where do great men come from? Greatness, leadership, those are not qualities that I believe individuals are born with. Now, yes, some people are born with qualities that lead them to that role. And if they develop them, they can become great leaders. They can become great influences on other people. But when we talk about leaders, great people who have influenced history or culture, most of those men, all of those men, began as babies. We began asking the question this morning out of 2 Peter chapter 1, what is the first step to our Christian walk? And we answered that question by saying that the first step in the Christian walk is faith. 
And that faith must begin with Jesus. And we spent all of our time this morning talking about how our faith must be built on Jesus. That it must be predicated on what the Bible says. And that what the Bible says are promises that not only lead to this life, but promises that ensure us we'll have a life beyond the grave. But I want to inform you tonight, as you probably already know, faith is not the end-all, be-all of the Christian walk. In fact, if all we ever do is say, I have the first step of my Christian walk, faith, but I never go beyond that, I have failed in my walk with Christ. Every Christian is required to grow. Now I want to take you back to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. If you'll remember, the Hebrew writer said something pretty direct to that group of people he was writing to, those Jews. He said, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. In Hebrews chapter 5, the problem was very clear. The people had begun their faith, but they never grew beyond the beginning of their Christian walk. We all need to make sure that in some point in our life, we answer the question of what are we going to do with the Lord? Are we going to believe in Him or are we not going to? But if that's the only question we ever ask, we stop short of what God begins to expect of us. Every Christian must grow. And so this morning we talked about how that first step is faith, but it doesn't end with faith. The Christian life never stops with that first step. Every one of us must grow. Now we talked about from the first four verses of 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning that our faith has to be built on Jesus, that it's predicated on the promises of God, verse 3, and that it's motivated by the, the promise of an eternal life, verse 4. Beyond that, each one of us must grow. So you may ask yourself the question tonight, how does God expect me to grow? How do I go from being a baby Christian, a young Christian, an infant in Christ, to growing into maturity? How do I make sure that what was said about those people in Hebrews chapter 5 is not said about me? How do I grow as a Christian? Now that might seem like an open-ended question, but 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5, 6, and 7 give us a very clear picture of how Christians ought to grow. And so that's our job tonight, is to evaluate those three passages and how God wants us to grow as Christians. If you say, okay, Josh, I feel like I got faith down pat, it's time to start stepping on to some next things. What are those things? Let's look down in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now listen to the promise he gives beginning in verse 8. We're not going to get into the promises of verse 8. But notice what he says will happen if we do these things or if we fail to do these things. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Do you know what the word increasing is? It's a word of growth. I'm getting better at these things. I'm developing these qualities. If these are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I don't want to be someone who's so nearsighted I can't see that Jesus saved me. I want to be someone who works and increases in these, and I'm not ineffective or, unbar- or barren, but I am fruitful for the Lord. How do I ensure that happens? I do verses 5, 6, and 7 in my life. I work on these seven qualities. If you add faith, what we talked about this morning, it's eight qualities. But I work on these seven qualities to ensure that I'm growing as a Christian. What are the seven qualities? We're just going to give a brief moment to each one, and you can go home and study these further. They're very interesting. So I'm in the step of faith. I believe in God. I want to do what's right. What's next? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Make every effort. Be diligent. That means hard work. Now, I don't need to tell you this. Um, You probably see it as a reality, not just in the world today, but this has probably been a problem for a long time. I'm going to say it's maybe a little bit more prevalent of a problem today, but there's always been this problem. There's always been people in the world that don't want to put in good elbow grease hard work. There's always been people. Now, you may say it's more prevalent now, and we can maybe argue either other way. It doesn't matter. It's real right now. There are people that don't want to put in hard work. Here's a reality. As a Christian, if I want to grow, it's not going to happen by osmosis. It's not going to happen just because I want it to, or I just wish it into reality, or speak it into reality. I'm going to grow because I put in diligent hard work. Now, what do I have to work at? Here's seven things. Number one. He says, make every effort in verse 5 to supplement your faith with virtue. You ever heard somebody described as a virtuous person? You may remember a woman who was called virtuous from the book of Proverbs. We'll talk about her in just a moment. What is virtue? Well, virtue is a word that translates courage. It is soul vigor. It is the determination or the manliness to do what is right. Uh, That was actually the definition. Manliness was a definition given by Brother Guyan Woods in a commentary he wrote on 2 Peter. He said, virtue is the manliness and the determination to do what is right. You and I, if we're going to grow as Christians, we have to be willing to have a little virtue. Imagine virtue as the steel rod that represents your spine to where when you're given the option of doing right and wrong, you inwardly say, I'm going to do right. Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 39. I don't know how many of you remember the story of Joseph, but Joseph was a man that had experienced a lot of losses in his life. He lost his father when his brothers sold him. He lost his family because his brothers sold him. He was in a foreign place because his brothers basically disowned him and didn't want him around anymore because of jealousy. He was brought into Egypt and he began to rise in the ranks of Egypt, especially in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, we've studied Joseph's character before. He was a man that always made the best out of his situation. And we could go back and study that again later. I think he's a great example. Nonetheless, Joseph grew up in Potiphar's house to a place of position, a place of authority. And if you'll remember, the Bible says that Joseph was a good-looking young man. He was a hard worker. He was so good-looking, in fact, that Potiphar's wife, we don't know Potiphar's wife. My dad used to call her Mrs. Potiphar. So we're going to refer to her as Mrs. Potiphar for the remainder of this lesson. Mrs. Potiphar took a liking to Joseph. She was attracted to him. And she made many advances on him. The Bible says that at one point she came to him and asked him to go to bed with her. And he said no. 
After that, the Bible says she came back to him day after day trying to take him to bed. But Joseph said, listen, your husband trusts me. He's placed me over everything in your house to be in charge of except you. How could I then turn on him and my God and take you unlawfully? How could I do something with you that God would despise? And so he says no. So the Bible says day after day she came back to him. And you'll remember that kind of climaxes to a point where at, at some situation, Joseph is in the house. All the other men that are workers are out of the house. Obviously Potiphar's out of the house. And it's just him, Mrs. Potiphar, and probably some other female workers. And if you'll remember in Genesis 39, the Bible says that Mrs. Potiphar grabbed him by the clothing and tried to drag him to bed. And Joseph, because he did not want to do what was wrong, not only ran away from her, but he ran out of his own clothing running away from her. Genesis 39, verses 7 through 9. You want to know what happened? Joseph was given a good pat on the back for doing what was right. We appreciate you, Joseph. No, Joseph's virtue had him accused of rape and put in prison. Did that end Joseph's story? No, Joseph's story goes on. Joseph's story is one of virtue regardless of the circumstances. And that's what virtue means. It means I have determined within me that I'm going to do what's right. And I'm not going to do what's wrong. It doesn't matter who's around me. It doesn't matter what they say. And it doesn't matter how they treat me. I have determined to do what is right. That is virtue in the Bible. It's a determination. It's a, it's a moral stance. Some of your translations may use the word moral uprightness. If you'll remember in Proverbs 31, a woman by the name, uh, uh, that's written of by the name of King Lamuel, uh, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, calls this woman, this, this woman of Proverbs 31, he calls her a virtuous woman. Now, why does he call her a virtuous woman? If you look at the context of that chapter, she's chosen as being virtuous because she didn't chase the deceitful charm and beauty of the world, but rather chose to fear God. She was a virtuous woman. Each one of us, if we want to grow as Christians, we have to be willing to say, I'm going to put a steel rod through my spine and I'm not going to bend over to anybody because I want to do what's right. That's virtue. Please note that that is an inner determination. To be a virtuous person is not situational. Being virtuous means I do what's right regardless of what the people around me believe to be right because I have virtue. I have morals. I have standards that I live by. Virtue. If I'm going to be a strong Christian, I have to develop virtue within my life. Now, it takes virtue to do a lot of things, doesn't it? It takes virtue for you to say, I was wrong. Sometimes that's hard to say, isn't it? You know, I, I was wrong. Sometimes we say it sarcastically, don't we? You ever done that? I was wrong. You know what we mean when we say that? I get the point you're making. I'm just saying it to appease you. I was wrong. It's hard to admit truly that we're wrong, isn't it? It takes virtue to do that. It takes virtue for you and I to resist temptation. It takes virtue for you and me to defend the truth, to stand up for what's right regardless of how people treat me. It takes virtue for you and I to speak up for the Lord when it's easier to remain silent. It would just be easier for me to shut my mouth right now. It takes virtue for me to shut my mouth when it's easier to say something. I need to develop virtue. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 Peter chapter 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Okay. 
The first one is virtue, courage, determination. I want to be a stronger Christian. I've got to grow in my virtue. Now, does that mean you're going to shove that, that, that steel rod up your spine and you're going to stand up right every single time right now and you're just going to, because I want it, I'm just, oh, I'm perfect now. I've got it. No, but guess what it takes? Diligence. It takes work. It takes determination to have virtue. All right, next one. It takes growth as a Christian requires me to develop virtue, but it also requires me to develop knowledge. I find it odd that Peter listed knowledge after virtue. I thought it would be the other way around. That as I know more about God, I begin to be more morally courageous, more consciously aware of my decisions. But that's not how Peter designs it, maybe for a reason. The second characteristic is knowledge. Now, you and I know that knowledge, uh, to, to be zealous about something and not have knowledge is, is really good, but it's very dangerous, right? If you, began to, if you began to work on something that you don't have knowledge about, but you're really zealous, you can break it pretty quick. I've broken a couple of things in my life. Uh, we're at the point in our life where our, our little ones want to use the kitchen knives when we use them. They're very zealous, but they don't know what can happen. And I've tried to show my kids before. I've got scars. I've got a scar right here on, on the outside of my left hand. Uh, a man that went to church with us when I was growing up gave me, um, what was the name of that knife? It was one of those good, it was an old timer. He gave me a sharp old timer knife at church Sunday morning. My mom and dad were laying down in the bed, taking a nap Sunday afternoon. And I had a Gatorade bottle. And if I had a bottle, I'd show you how I was holding it. It's about like this. I had the Gatorade bottle like this, and I was pushing down on that knife to cut that Gatorade bottle, split it wide open down the middle. And that knife slipped, cut through the meat of my hand, and I had to go get stitches before Sunday night church. We made it back in time for the opening prayer. All right? We know what it's like to be zealous about something, but not have the knowledge of what can happen or the knowledge of the scenario I'm in. We need knowledge as Christians if we're going to weather and navigate this world. Knowledge best comes from God. Now, the knowledge used in this word, in this passage, is a knowledge that is both uh, what we would call like book smarts and street smarts. It is both knowing about God and having the practical experience of life. I develop both of those things as I grow as a Christian. I should, right? I want to develop practical experience. I need to read the book of Proverbs over and over and over and over and over again. I need to develop knowledge about God by reading just his entire word over and over and over again. Someone who has knowledge is someone who develops their prudence. Their prudence. If you're part of the marriage class, I sent out a question not long ago asking you to look up the definition of the word prudence. The word prudence means someone who has good judgment. They're aware of the consequences of their actions. They think through what they're going to do. Don't you think it's important to have that as a Christian? You think through what you're going to do before you do it. I'd get my, I, w I wouldn't be in many of the situations I was when I was younger if I'd have just thought before I talked. If I'd have just kept my mouth shut, you know. If I just thought through a word before I said it or a phrase before I said it. Or I, I thought through an action before I went, you know, maybe this is going to cause me heartache in my future life as I grow up. I might not need to do this. If I'd have thought through it, if I'd have had prudence, knowledge, wisdom to think through the practical things of life. It is, uh, it's prudence, it's wisdom, it's knowing about God. The Bible tells me in Psalm 119 verse 104 that I must as a Christian dig into God's word. Proverbs 2 says about knowledge that knowledge is like a woman who is in the courts of the city and she's waiting for you to find her. And you're calling out her name and as soon as you call out her name, you'll find her. 
That's how God gives knowledge. As soon as we start seeking knowledge, God will pour knowledge into our life through his word. And I'll understand how to navigate the Christian life. Knowledge is extremely important if I'm going to grow as a Christian. Now, this is the same word that you, that's used in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. You can go back and look at that passage later. It's a passage that says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to understanding or in an understanding way. Let me ask somewhat of a rhetorical question here. How do you dwell with your wife in an understanding way? Well, the answer is you've got to start to try to understand her, which means you've got to pay attention to her, which means you've got to listen. Now, for men who are like me or a little bit more one-track minded, and if I get off one track, I'm going to leave it for a couple of weeks. It takes me a while to get back to it. Y'all probably know that already as your preacher. Okay, you've seen it in action. Uh, I'm very one-track minded. How does a husband get to know his wife? He pays attention to her. He observes her. He listens to her. He experiences what life is like with her so that he can best serve her and do the things that, that Christ would do for the church for her. How do, I, how do I get that about the world, about the Christian life? I observe. I don't walk around the Christian life with my head down looking at the ground all the time, not observing what things affect me as a Christian, what leads me into temptation. I need to do a little critical thinking as a Christian. I need to use my brain. That's what knowledge is. Using my brain. Alright. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. Number three. Number three. I did say there were seven points in this sermon, right? Okay. Uh, we might not get through all seven tonight. That's okay. Number three. I need to add to my knowledge self-control. I need to add to my knowledge self-control. The Greek term used for self-control is literally one who holds himself in. One who holds himself in. Self-control could also be defined as self-government. I'm going to govern myself and make sure that I put rules and laws that I must obey. And not just do whatever feels right at the moment. It is self-discipline. It is the ability to control my life. It is the ability that I have to differentiate between what is right and what is wrong. Self-control. Self-control is needed in so many areas of our life, isn't it? We have to have self-control. We could make that practical all night long. We could make it theological all night long as a Christian being self-controlled. We need self-control with our words, with our actions. We need self-control with our thoughts. Don't you remember Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what? What comes out? How do I know what comes out? i got to figure out what's going on up here. That's a little bit of knowledge. It's a little bit of practical uh, evaluation. What am I thinking how do I think about people? How do I treat people when my rights feel violated? How do I treat people? Well, I've got to do a little critical thinking about myself in order to have self-control. I really like this passage, uh, and it's a really neat word picture. Go to Proverbs 25 real quick. Proverbs 25. Now, we've got this really cool feature on our new program here that uh, if I want to, I could call out to the teenagers in the back and get them to pull up a Bible passage out of nowhere. I'm not going to do that to them tonight. Today's the first day. <laughs> I'm not going to make them do that. But uh, we'll work on it later, and that'd be cool for my little rabbit trails that I follow as a preacher. You know, we could chase them even better by pulling those passages up. Nonetheless, turn your Bibles there real quick. Proverbs 25, verse 28. This is a super cool word picture in the book of Proverbs. 
a man of self-control. How, how do you determine what happens when you don't have self-control? Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control. So picture in your mind a man who has no self-control. He has no ability to hold himself in. He flies off the handles when he wants to. He does what he wants to. He doesn't care about the actions, the repercussions. He just does him all the time. No control over self. Doesn't follow rules. Doesn't follow guidelines. No control. This man is like, verse 28, a city that is broken into. Now, this would not be like Bowden you know, that we would see today, a city like Bowden, in the times in which this would have been written, cities would have had walls around them so that the people of that city could control who comes in and who goes out. They know what those people bring in and what those people take out. They would be able to evaluate everything that's coming in and out. That's what the walls serve as. If someone's trying to attack the city, guess what? You get on top of the walls and you start shooting arrows at them or throwing spears at them, and then they can't just come into the city and do what they want. People are protected because of a wall. A wall serves its purpose, doesn't it? We have walls on our home that keep us dry from the elements, keep us cool in the summer, keep us warm in the winter. Walls are super important. A man without self-control is like a city that gets broken into and the people that break into it, they just tear all the walls down. Guess what? No control. You can't control what comes in. You definitely don't control what goes out. If somebody tries to come and attack you, you're defenseless. You have no way to defend yourself in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Elements come, it starts to snow. Guess what? No walls. You don't have anything to protect you. Somebody wants to come in and steal something from you. Guess what? city doesn't have any walls. They come in and take it if they want to. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Anybody can do anything they want to that person. And they have no control over how it happens. They can try to manage. But without the wall, it's a lot more to manage. That's what self-control is like. It's like a wall to our life. Helping us to regulate what comes in and what goes out. I don't know if you've learned this yet. Maybe some of, some of our younger ones haven't learned this yet. This is a super important lesson. I learned the hard way, and I'm sure you did too. You could probably tell me stories. It matters who you let into your life. The people that you let into your life will form you into who you will be. Now, do I have the self-control enough to know when something comes in that I don't want there? And the ability to push it out. That's self-control. It's the ability to hold oneself in. I have the strength and the ability to control what's going on in life. Okay? That's self-control. If I'm going to grow as a Christian, I need to have self-control. The ability to hold myself in. Let's knock one more out and we'll call it a night. How about that? We're going to add to our faith virtue. We're going to add to our virtue knowledge. We're going to add to our knowledge self-control. We're going to add to our self-control patience. We're going to add to our self-control patience. You can go ahead and be turning your Bibles to the passage on the screen, Hebrews chapter 10. We had a lesson not long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, about patience. I want to tell you that one of the things I probably need most as a husband and a father and a citizen of the country and um, a person who drives on the road is patience. Okay? Patience is a hard thing to come by sometimes. It's, it's something you have to have a lot of self-control. I understand why Peter put self-control before patience. 
It takes a lot of control to have patience. Okay? In a lot of ways in the Bible, the word self-control and long-suffering are combined together. You know that? They're, they're kind of interchangeable. And if you follow what the word long-suffering means in the Bible, I don't know if I've, if I've told you this. You may know this. The word long-suffering means to have a long nose. A long nose. You ever get mad and, and when you get mad, you just blow out of your nose. You're so angry. The Bible says that God is long-suffering. His anger has patience. That while God is angry at our sin, he is long-suffering right now, giving us time to repent. But one day, that anger will come to fruition and we won't have any more time to repent. He's got a long nose. That's what that word means. Patience is the same way. It's not wrong for you to be upset about something that you then have to have patience about. The question is, am I going to react to what I'm angry about? Or am I going to have patience? That takes self-control. Patience is really easy to have until we feel like our rights have been violated, isn't it? It's easy to have patience when things are smooth, waters are smooth, everything's going well. It is real easy to have patience until the temperature gets turned up and my rights have been violated. Patience. Patience isn't just being reserved. I want to point that out tonight. Patience is not just being reserved. It's not that you're just being limp and you're just kind of letting anything in life happen to you and you don't have any say over it and you're just, oh, you're just so laid back and it doesn't matter. That's not what patience is. Patience is the ability when I get worked up and I feel like I could blow out this room with anger. I have the ability to still my inner self and to deal with the situation appropriately. I would imagine Jesus had tremendous patience. You probably have known somebody before that had tremendous patience. I mean, you could literally almost spit in their face and they would still just calmly deal with you. That's an admirable quality. Patience in the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 36. This is the passage we studied a couple of weeks ago, but it's a great one on patience. You have need of endurance or patience so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and not be delayed, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. We have need of endurance. Doing the will of God takes endurance. It takes patience. I want to tell you this. I have learned this the hard way, and I know you have too. A moment of patience. I'm not asking you to be patient 24-7. I don't think that that's really that possible. There's going to be a time where you need to let that anger run its course without sin. But let me tell you what. A moment of patience in a moment of anger, will save you many moments of regret. If you have just a moment of patience, when you're extremely angry, it will save you so many moments of regret. And you'll thank yourself for it. Why? Because you have self-control. Why do you have self-control? Because you have a knowledge of God. You know how this world works because God tells you. And you know that God is in ultimate control. He's sovereign. Why do you know that? Because you have a virtue that determines to do what's right based on your faith. I believe in Jesus. And because of Jesus, I'm going to do what's right. Because I do what's right, I'm going to turn to this book and learn more about what's right. I'm going to develop knowledge. And out of developing knowledge, I'm going to say, you know what? I need to be more self-controlled. I need to control myself better. I need to have more patience. 
There's a couple more things on this list that we'll get to at some point in the future. Thank you for your attention in this lesson. Let me ask you a question. Are you growing as a Christian? Really ask that that to yourself. Am I growing as a Christian? You know, it's one thing to say, this morning, I got it. I got faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I know who He is, who He says He is. I know that God has promised me a home in heaven. I know that He's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. I know how to live this life and to honor Him. But have you moved beyond faith? Have you begun to develop virtue? Maybe you don't have virtue and you say, Tonight, I'm ready to have virtue. I have not had the spine to say no when I need to say no, to say yes when I need to say yes, and to walk away when I don't need to stay around. I have virtue. And maybe you say, I don't quite have that tonight. I want to have more virtue. I want to be more determined to do right. And go through the list. Put that in every single quality that we studied today. Is there something that you need to do more at? The time to begin that is now. We talked about it this morning. The first step is often the hardest, but you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. Begin to walk towards God in growth. If you need encouragement to do that, if you need to know how to do that more practically, we're here and ready to help and serve you in any way we can to encourage you to be faithful. Maybe the case is you don't feel like any of these things are a part of your life because you don't know Christ. You say, you know what, this sounds great. I want to live this way. I want to live the way God has called me to live. And you want to make the decision to become a Christian tonight. If you want to study more about that, we're going to sing an invitation song in just a moment here. And when we began to sing this invitation song, we have these front pews that are open. You can come down during that song. You can sit on one of these front pews. And after that song is over, I'll come down and talk to you and we'll figure out what's going on. If you need prayers, if you want to become a Christian, or if you need to repent of something in your life so you're right with God and you walk out of here knowing that you're headed to heaven. Whatever the case may be, make this time the time that you make the decision to take that step towards the Lord as together we stand and as we sing.